Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and it's so uh, such a privilege to be here with you this morning as we open the Scriptures. We're going to be in John chapter 4, and this morning is going to look a little bit different. As, as we kick off this fall season, we're actually going to have a double-teaming teaching. And in the words of one of my kids, please don't go as long as you normally do with both of you talking that long. <clears throat> we're going to do our best. <laughs> We're going to do our best. Um, I have had the incredible joy of working with several of our elders over the last couple months to develop what we're going to be talking about this week and then for the next three weeks. And we've entitled this Band-Aids, Bucket, and Tables. All right. And so we'll kind of unwrap that for you as we go a little bit this morning and then as the weeks go. But, but if this is maybe your first time joining us, here, here's my ask to you. Would you stick with us for the next four weeks? Because I think these next four weeks are going to be really foundational to what God wants to do within our lives as a people of God. I mean, people of God in the plural. We are a community of faith, a community of people who desire to follow Jesus and to follow him passionately. And that is why we exist. We want to know Christ, not just in like this, this heady knowledge way, but in an actual practical, walking, living, real life kind of way. That's who we want to pursue. There's a lot of things we could pursue in life, but Jesus is the one that we want to pursue. So we're going to be opening uh, to John 4 and looking at this story of the woman at the well for the next several weeks. While you're doing that, just a couple of brief announcements. Uh, this morning we have a, a potluck after our time uh, together in this gathering. We have a potluck down there. We invite you to join us. Looking forward to that with you. Also, tonight we are having the kickoff of our student ministry. So if you're in 7th through 12th grade, uh, even if you haven't registered yet, we've got some pre-registry that's gone on. If you are in 7th through 12th grade, um, come on, we'd love to have you tonight. We've got a great group of leaders ready to engage the scriptures and to have fun, and that includes dinner for you all at 5 o'clock tonight, all right? That's our student ministry, 7th through 12th grade. And then Wednesday night this week, we are kicking off our our big, our big life and forged life ministry, and that's at 6.30 this week. So we'd love to have you if you're under that and you're like preschool through sixth grade. And even if you haven't registered yet, come on, you can register on Wednesday night and we are ready to have a great week. One of the things that Marcy, our children's ministry director, sent out recently was, was just this reminder. Parents, as you come, grandparents, as your kids come, church family, as kids come here this Wednesday night, be praying that God would do a work in their life by the Spirit to reveal himself to them and to help them walk as children of God. Um, that's what we're jumping into this week. And I'm so thankful for the many, many, many people who are helping lead those ministries this fall. So, uh, Band-Aids, Buckets, and a Table. Um, we are looking at Band-Aids, buckets, and a table. Today, we're going to look at Band-Aids. We're going we're to take this one and look at a couple of the themes from John chapter 4. But let me just kind of introduce you to this idea of Band-Aids. Um, Band-Aids represent these wounds and these places in our lives that are deep. Um, 
sometimes they're not as deep. Sometimes they're really deep. Uh, I, I cut my finger just kind of a little bit this week as I was putting in some flooring in my house. And my son ran upstairs, grabbed a Band-Aid because I didn't want to get blood on the new flooring. We, we use Band-Aids all the time to cover stuff up. And there's good reasons that we use Band-Aids. And they come in all sizes and shapes. I mean, some of you have probably had a big ace bandage around an arm at one point in time. Or you've had something around your leg or on your foot. Maybe you've had significant surgery and you have a, you have a scar to show for it. Band-Aids are something that represent the wounds in our lives that we attempt to deal with. And Jesus is going to deal with some wounds in a woman's life in the town of Sychar near Jacob's Well. And we're going to look at those today. But next week, we're going to look at buckets. And buckets are these things that we try to bring to our relationship with God by saying, here, I have all this stuff. God, I'm ready. I am ready for you. When Jesus just wants us. Sure, he creates us with intentionality. He creates us with gifts and abilities. But a lot of the times, we try to be more Christian by what we do instead of by just saying, God, here I am. How would you direct my life? We'll talk about this later. But if you have a bucket at home, what I'd love your help with next week is I'd love for you to bring one of your buckets in. And next week, I'd love to fill this entire platform with buckets. I've got a few of my own that I will bring in. You can put stuff in those buckets if you would like. Um, you can bring them just empty, whichever you prefer. Um, finally, we're going to look at a table. What does it mean to sit at the table with God? And the picture is this. The table is where we receive everything we need. Everything we need. Scripture puts it this way. Um, when Jesus, for example, is at the table on the, uh, with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he reveals himself to them and they see that he is who he said he was. He was the bread of life. He is the resurrection. He is the fount of living water. Jesus is all that we need. He gives direction. He gives purpose. His word, the psalmist says, gives light to our path. And walking and living in relationship with God, what we might phrase it this way, living out of the fullness of God is, I believe, where God wants us to be as a people and as individuals. Years ago, sorry, too many things in my hands. Um, years ago, I received this plaque from the pastoral staff. It was about 14 and a half years ago. And this is a spiritual reminder on the occasion of Pastor Jeremy Cobb's commissioning service, right? And one of the questions that is posed here by my former pastor, uh, Pastor Mike, is this. Like, one of them is, am I becoming less religious and more spiritual? Uh, another one is, do I, does my family recognize the authenticity of my spirituality? But, but number three is really key, and this is kind of where we're going to be keying on for the next several weeks. Do I have a flow-through philosophy? All right? Do I have a flow-through philosophy to ministry? And the whole idea behind that is this. Am I trying to go Jesus plus something equals effective ministry? Or am I living daily by the word of God? Am I living daily by the power of the spirit who has given me, tense is important there, who has given me and you everything we need for godliness? And that's what we're going to be looking at these next several weeks. And so I'm going to invite Mark to come on up and he's going to set up our text and we're going to read it together and then we'll jump into it. Um, so 
so we're talking about the woman at the well this morning, and that's going to be the story. And so right away you go, right away you go, oh, I know that story. I just want to challenge you a minute this morning. We read some of these stories in the Bible, and we think, oh, I know that story. Like Moses when he crossed the Red Sea, and God parts the waters, he creates a great wind, and he parts the waters, and they go through on dry ground like a million people. And we read that and we go, oh, God parted the waters, um, they went through on dry ground. We should go, whoa, God parted the waters, they went through on dry ground. You know, we read about Paul in the New Testament, and this guy gets stoned, and they leave him for dead, and he gets up and walks away praising Jesus that he's worthy to suffer. And we go, oh, he was stoned and left for dead. Let me hit you with a rock and see how it feels. So I want to challenge you this morning as we read the word, don't just go, oh, I know the story. Look at it with fresh eyes this morning. So John chapter 4, verse 1. And verse 1 starts out even a little different because verse 1 actually wraps up what has happened previous, and then it starts to introduce. So verse 1 seems a little confusing. Then Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. And he left Judea because he didn't want any confrontation right now. He's just starting his ministry, and rather than have confrontation, um, that's not where he's at in his ministry, he wants to move on. So he had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me to drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples were gone to a village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I'd give you living water. Okay, did you catch it? We've read this story so many times, we think we know it, but I want you to pause a minute. Three verses ago, Jesus said to her, I'm thirsty, could you give me water? Three verses later, Jesus says, hey, I have living water I could give to you. Did you catch that? Read this carefully. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you go and get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he did and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? And Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water that I give takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them and gives them eternal life. Well, please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here again to haul water. Go get your husband, Jesus said. 
Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Awkward moment. What do you do? You change the subject. So here we go. Let's change the subject. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for anyone who will worship him that way, for God is a spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were astonished to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water, uh, left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet the man who's told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? Or actually like the King James better that says, is this not the Christ? It sounds like a question, but it's really a statement. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have food you don't know about. Well, who brought it to him? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment is from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends? Four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and you will gather a great harvest. Many Samaritans of the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He had said, he told me everything. She said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe because we have heard him ourselves, not just because of what you have told us. He is indeed the Savior of the world. Wow, what a story. It kind of went here and then it went here and then it went here and then it went here. 
I want to begin um, kind of dissecting this by looking at a couple of the things that are going on. I want to look at some religious traditions that are informing this story, because we're told some things very, very early on that if you have the right eyes to see, you can see them, because there's cultural things going on here. There's social traditions that are involved here. But let's start here. Every good place to start is where are we, right? How many of you love geography? All right, there's a couple of you. All right, this is for you. Here we go. Uh, sorry for it's kind of small, but it's color-coded, which is important. Israel is right here. It's on the left side of your screen, right next to the Mediterranean Sea. At this point in time, Israel is divided into three sections. You have Judea, which is the lower part of the country. The purple, so Judea is teal, for those of you who, can, who have color sight and all that. Um, Judea is teal. It's in the bottom part of your screen. Then in the middle, you have purple, and that is Samaria. And then up in the top, you have Galilee. It's hard to read. can't really read it. I can't read it in the back. I have to turn around. But it's upper Galilee and lower Galilee. You can look at the big body of water on the bottom. That's the Dead Sea. And there's a, there's a river called the River Jordan that goes all the way up to that next body of water, which is the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus spends a lot of his time ministering in the Galilee region. All right, that's where a lot of his ministry takes place. But he's also down in Judea a lot because Judea is where Jerusalem is at. So he goes down for Passover. He comes down for Shavuot, another Jewish feast. He comes down for Sukkot three times a year. He's likely coming down for these festivals. Now, just to kind of zoom in. So we find out in the text early on in the first three verses here, Jesus is leaving the Judean area. All right. He's leaving Teal and he's going up to Galilee, which means he's going up to the red up at the top of your screen right now. Now you have all these other colors and other things too. You have Perea, you have the Decapolis. Those are areas on the other side of the Jordan. Those come into play in various uh, stories of Jesus, but not so much here. Um, so Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee. Just kind of zoom in a little bit more. But he's going to go, the text says, through Samaria. And it actually says he left Judea. He went again to Galilee. He had to travel. Yours might say it was necessary for him to travel through Samaria. So stop. Normally we'd be like, well, yeah, it's the most direct route, right? He's in Judea. He's going to go up to the Galilee. Why wouldn't he go that way? There's something you need to know culturally. When you talk about Samaria or the Samaritans, it's a very um, dicey relationship. Because you have Jews down in Judea, you have Jewish people up in the Galilee region, but the Samaritans are a group of people not well loved by the Jews, and frankly, the Jews are not well loved by the Samaritans. And it's a hundreds old disagreement and, and really kind of warring that goes back and forth between these two. It goes back to the, to the time in which Israel was taken out of, cap, out of the land into captivity. After the Babylonian exile, um, the Jewish people in the northern tribes, in other words, in what is Samaria on this map, they intermarried with peoples from different religious backgrounds, okay? That's important because God had told the Jewish people, don't intermarry with people who have a different faith than you. Why? Because when you do, God says, they're going to lead you astray in your worship, 
Instead of worshiping Yahweh, the one and the only God, you're going to worship Yahweh. And then this wife over here worships Baal, and you'll become a Baal worshiper. And this person over here that you're married to worships Asherah. And then this person over here worships Molech. And before you know it, you become not a people who worship the one true God. You become a people who worship all the gods, a polytheist in big words, all right? And that's not what God wants. And so he says, don't intermarry with people of other faiths because if you do, they will tear you from the one and only worship of Yahweh. And this then led to a whole story that we don't have time to go into all of it, but basically the Samaritans are Jewish people who intermarried with other peoples. And when Ezra and Nehemiah come back into the land after the exile to rebuild the temple, um, the Samaritans say, hey, can we help you build this temple? Uh, But the scripture says that they, of course, were people serving a whole multiple number of gods, and they didn't have a single-hearted devotion to bring back and build back the temple of the Lord. And Ezra and Nehemiah said, no, thank you. And what ended up happening in all this time is you had a center of worship for the Samaritan people, and you had a center of worship for the Jewish people. The Jewish people worship in Jerusalem, where God told them to. The Samaritans, they they don't. They they build up a whole worship complex in Samaria. And this creates a a whole bunch of um, domino effects throughout the centuries where there is great hatred between these people. We see this come out in the story of the Good Samaritan. And what's going on culturally there is Jesus is setting up something and he says a Samaritan in the natural reaction of the Jewish people listening to him would have gone like, ooh, Samaritan's bad. But Jesus is making a point that, wow, God can even use a Samaritan to bring glory to his name. And so you have all this going on. There's a religious dispute over the theological purity that leads to political animosity between the Jews of Judah and the dwellers of Samaria that just continues for hundreds of years, and and it is alive and well at the time of Jesus. So why is it such a big deal that the text says Jesus goes through Samaria? Well, especially religious Jews would do all that they could to stay away from engaging with the Samaritan people, right? They they would do everything they could, especially if they were religious and very scrupulous. They would not want to do that. And so what people would do oftentimes, according to scholars, is if you had to come down from the Galilee to come to Jerusalem, instead of coming down through Samaria, through the purple on that big red road, that marks a road right there, you might come down on the edge over by the Jordan River. So it's the second red one over here. Or you might even cross over into the Decapolis region or into Perea, and you would come down outside of the region of the Samaritans because you did not want to engage with them. You didn't. So the fact that Jesus is going to even go through here, and the fact that the text says it is necessary, indicates God is doing something pretty spectacular. He's, he's, he's going up to Galilee, not just because he has to, but there's intention. And of course, Jesus loves all the people. And that's one of the things he's going to display to this woman whose story we read. Now, not only is there a geographical reason that kind of points out some of the tensions of why they would actually travel through this area. Here we come 
Here's a, here's a picture. In the middle there is the city of Sychar. Uh, here's another picture of it. You may be able to read it better. Uh, on the left, you have Mount Ebal. There's Mount Ebal. There's Mount Gerizim. Two mountains pretty close together. And in the middle, you have this village called Sychar. You also have nearby the city of Shechem. You have Joseph's tomb that's here. And you have Jacob's well in the right-hand side of your screen, kind of down two-thirds down the bottom. And that's where the story takes place. Here's kind of another picture of it. And I just want to give you a picture so you can see this is the land Jesus is walking through. He, he, he's traveling through and he's coming to a known well that had been there for hundreds of years to come get a drink. Here's a great photo with Mount Gerizim on one side, Mount Ebal on the other. Those have incredible biblical significance. Shechem's in the middle, Sychar's over here on the right, and then Jacob's well is over on the left. And so the woman is traveling from one of these cities, and she's coming to get water. Jesus is stopping. He's coming to get water. And here you come to the well. This is a photo taken right after the 1900s, because if you look at it now, it's a big building that you can go visit if it's safe there. Um, you can go visit, and, and it's like built up all around this. So this is kind of at the beginning of the stage of them building up. This is the place where Jesus is sitting as he comes to the well. But there's a cultural tra tradition going on here. So you kind of be oriented as here's what the land looks like. Here's where we are physically at in the place. And a woman of Samaria, it says, comes to draw water. Now, Jesus is already there. He had stopped. And it says in verse 6 that, that he sat down and it was about 6 o'clock in the evening is the way my text says it. In Greek, it's actually the sixth hour, which is probably better translated 12 o'clock noon. All right. It's 12 o'clock noon and they are here to get water. And Jesus is there, the woman comes and Jesus engages her in a conversation. And if you are a Middle Eastern person at this time, or even a Middle Eastern person in some regions of the Middle East today, you would go, he did what? Why would he talk to a woman? Because in this culture, that's not something that you would engage with. Jesus does something unthinkable. Men rarely spoke with women in public, even if they were married to them. And single women never spoke or touched a woman at any time in this culture. It was just not culturally appropriate. But Jesus extends a gift to this woman. And we're going to talk about that gift a little bit more next week. It's this Mayim Chaim, this living water. If you knew this gift of God and who was offering or who was asking you for water, you would be asking me for living water. Jesus says. He engages her. Now, now Jesus is a rabbi. He, he's religiously observant. And this is a barrier that most men, especially those very religious, would, would not break. But then enter Jesus. Now, what's important to note is Jesus does not cross biblical boundaries here, but he does cross societal boundaries. He, he, he crosses cultural boundaries, but he doesn't cross biblical boundaries in talking to the woman. In other words, he has no problem moving past one's, uh, moving past boundaries that have been instituted by men and by culture and all of those things, especially if it means to bring a good message of hope to a person who desperately needs it. He's reaching this woman where she is at. Mark's going to talk a little bit about a little bit more about this woman, um, but, but I want you to notice one thing. I, I mentioned it's the sixth hour. It's 12 o'clock noon, and the woman is coming for water. 
If you're the ancient audience, you have certain years to go, why is she coming for water at noon? And the reason that is important is this. Water gathering was typically something done by women in this culture. And often it was done as a community, right? It's kind of like the ancient version of, hey, do you need to go put more makeup on in the bathroom when you're at the restaurant? And all the women get up and they go and they do whatever it is they're going to do. You know, that's like the, the, oh, hey, let's go do all that together. In the ancient period, it's water gathering. It's, hey, how are you? How's your family? What's going on in your life? Tell me about this. Tell me about your son over here. Tell me about your daughter over here. What is something that you're struggling with or something you're engaging? This is the kind of conversations that they have at the well because that's where the women gather to talk and to socialize. This is a community experience, but it's usually something that is done in the morning and it's done in the evening because during the middle of the day, it's hot. And so you try to save that work for when it's cool. But it's 12 noon, and Jesus comes. He's there, and a woman comes by herself at noon. Why? Mark already read some of the reasons why. Jesus begins to probe and pick away some of what she is facing in her life. She has five husbands, and she's actually living with a sixth who is not her husband. She is, in essence, a social um, outcast. She, she is someone who lives a very different life, not keeping even with the morals, perhaps, of Samaria. And um, one scholar puts it this way. He, he says, she has doomed her reputation. She has broken the morals of her community. And in order to receive the gift that Jesus wants to give her, Jesus has to go to the very, very core of who she is and meet that need. And in meeting that need, he replaces what she thinks about who she is. She tra he transforms her life. He gives her this new identity as a daughter of the king. Of course, that comes later. But he begins by saying, can I have a drink of water? He's given us the cultural stuff and the geography, and now we're looking at the story of the woman here. So Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Um, then he offers her water. Then they have this conversation, and it was kind of a little bit of a left turn. And in verse 18, Jesus says, go get your husband. And her heart sank. Because she had a problem here. She didn't have one husband. She's had five. And she's living with a guy right now. How do you answer that? She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, I know that. You know what Jesus just did here? Our lesson today is Band-Aids. I want to suggest that Jesus just peeled the band-aid off the wound and exposed it. Now look, actually, how many of you are wearing band-aids today? Anybody got a band-aid on today? Not a band-aid in the place? 
Did I miss one? Okay, we got one Band-Aid. How many have had stitches? Yeah, you guys know how to wear Band-Aids, don't you? Um, As a kid, I wore a lot of Band-Aids. I think Mom had to keep a good supply. Actually, the hospital had to keep a good supply. Um, I'm about seven years old. I'm actually, I was probably... uh, six years old because it was a little before this next story and I'm playing outside and it's a windy day and the old shed out back and the door blows down and there was a nail in the shed guess where it landed <laughs> right there and dad takes me to the hospital I need stitches the doctor dad told me this the doctor said if I numb it it's going to hurt and if I put stitches in it it's going to hurt what do you want dad says he put a big bear hug on me and the doc stitched me up, and then they put a Band-Aid. I've got Band-Aids literally from head to toe, but here's my big one. I'm racing my sister Nancy. I'm probably seven years old here. Mom and Dad are out in the, let me back up, Mom and Dad are out in the barn vaccinating pigs, and uh, I was supposed to be in the house getting cleaned up because we were going to go away when they were finished, and so... I went out to the barn to see what mom and dad wanted me to wear. And I just got out of the tub, and I'll be honest, I was in my underwear. I was seven, and we lived out in the country, okay, so it didn't matter. And I went out to the barn, I asked him what I was supposed to wear, and then on the way back to the house, either Nancy or I said, you want to race? And we took off racing. Of course I was winning. And I got to the storm door, and I reached for the door, and I missed the handle, and I put my arm in there. And it went all the way up to my armpit. I yanked it out. And in a moment, I was blood from my armpit to my feet. Nancy races back to the barn and gets mom and dad, who are in full hog attire. Mom grabs a towel, shoves it in me, races me to the hospital. They go in with their boots full. <laughs> they were a sight. Talk about hillbillies. They stitch me up. I spend a few days in the hospital. They put a Band-Aid over it to cover up my wound. You know, we do that a lot in life. This woman had done that. And what Jesus does is he peels the Band-Aid back and he says, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five. And you're living with one that's not your husband now. And he exposed the wounds that this woman had in her life. Think of the wounds that she had. I don't know how many of you are, have been through a divorce or been close to someone who has been through a divorce. It's a painful, difficult time. And this woman struggled five times. Do you think she knew what aloneness was? Do you think she knew what struggle was? Do you think she knew what shame was? Everybody else seemed to be happy, happily married one time. And she's struggling with this shame and guilt and hurt. And Jesus peeled all that wound back. And she struggles with rejection. Everybody in town thought she was the loser. Rejected, and I think if she'd only known from the beginning who she was talking to, 
You want to talk to somebody who knows about rejection? Listen, if you want to lose weight, don't talk to the tall, skinny guy over there. Talk to somebody who's been there. If you're going to have surgery, talk to somebody who's been through the surgery. This woman is talking to somebody who knows about rejection. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. This is who she's talking to. John 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. This is who she's talking to, somebody that knows about rejection, who can identify with her, who can feel her pain. Isaiah says, He he bore our sorrows and carried our grief. Jesus knows how this woman is feeling. She's got this great big wound. Listen, all wounds don't show on the outside. I have a scar from here to here. I have a scar here. I've got a scar on my toe. They all show. All wounds aren't on the outside. Some wounds are on the inside. And we struggle with wounds that we have on the inside. I don't know about you, but when somebody would confront me with something really awkward like that, I think I understand what she did. She immediately went, well, where do you think we should worship? Because she knew this would be controversial. It's like somebody confronting you and you go, man, it's hot today. (laughs) How's your golf game? Hey, have you been fishing? Uh, Anything but the subject. And she quickly changes the subject. But Jesus, in his great wisdom, takes the subject, which is, where do we worship? And Jesus answers her question. But at the end of the conversation, um, let me read to you. The woman says, I know the Messiah will come, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. Can you imagine all the wounds, all the ugly stuff of her life was just exposed to the Messiah and how she must have felt? Um, She just had it all out there. Jesus, here, here it all is. Here's all the ugly of my life. And Jesus meets her. Let me ask you this. A little bit ago, Jesus offered her living water. Do you think Jesus knew a few minutes ago who she was back when he offered her water? Well, of course he did. He wasn't just suddenly enlightened. When Jesus offered her living water, I want to read a quote to you from John MacArthur. He said, The living water that he offered her was salvation in all its fullness, including forgiveness of sin and the ability and desire to live an obedient life that glorifies God. Jesus says, I can make you well. He offered her salvation in her fullness. But before that salvation could come, she had to realize two things, her sin and his identity, and those were covered. Think of it. Jesus said, I know you're hurting. Actually, he offered her a cure before he even confronted her with the issue. He says, I know you're hurting. I can take care of that hurt. I can help you. 
I can make you whole. I can give you salvation to the fullest in all its fullness. Listen, we have salvation, but I could ask you, are you living it in its fullness and letting Jesus take care of the wounds and the hurts that you have in your life today? Can you identify with this woman? I want to say to you, I think the woman was unnamed so that we could easily insert ourselves into her story. And we might have wounds and hurts, or we may have been the victim of a situation or a circumstance. And Jesus comes to us today in the same way that he came to her and said, I will give to you living water. Like the woman, we may have unseen wounds that we try to cover with the band-aids of life. If somebody comes up to you today and says, how are you doing? And you're crushed on the inside and you're wounded and hurting and you say, fine. And I think to myself in the story, this woman had five husbands and everybody knew her business. I mean, she was like the worst lady in town. She was the rejected, the down and out one. Then I think to myself, maybe we have people here today that aren't divorced but are struggling in their marriage and have wounds and hurts. And you need Jesus to make you well. And sometimes we just need to peel back the Band-Aid and look at the issue and say, Jesus, here I am. I'm hurting and I'm struggling. Or maybe you've been the victim of something beyond your control and you can't do anything about it and you're hurting. Jesus says to you today, I have living water for you. I could give you salvation in all of its fullness is what I offer to you. Think how many years of hurt and woundedness this woman lived in. If only she had met Jesus sooner. We have the end of the story, and Jesus offers to us living water. For whatever hurt in your life you have, Jesus says, I could come, and in salvation, in all of its fullness, do you know what all of its fullness means? It means all that Scripture has to offer. It's a Savior who intercedes for you. It's a Savior who you can cast your cares upon. It's a Savior who will never leave you or forsake you. It's a Savior who will keep you from falling. And it's a Savior who, will, um, who you can go to, and he will give you rest. All the promises, all the truth of God's word is available to you. And when you're hurting and struggling and have a wound, Jesus says, I have living water for you. Um, the woman struggled through five marriages and living with another man I don't know how long each marriage lasted but she struggled on and on and on and on and one day she met Jesus who made a difference in her life and I think why do we struggle for so long carrying a wound or a hurt when Jesus offers fullness or wellness to us. Oh, the woman's so excited. She races to tell everybody in town. In fact, 
she forgot her, her water pot. It's the reason she went there was to get water, and she's so excited. Jesus made a big change in her life. He wants to do that for you. Listen, sometimes we get excited about things. This woman got so excited, I was a little unfair to Gwen because I didn't ask her till the last minute if I could share this. Because I always promise, I'll, say, I'll ask her before I say something. So Gwen's weakness is Diet Coke. She really appreciates Diet Cokes. And one day she went to Taco Bell and placed her order and got her Diet Coke and... Um, or placed her order, and she pulled ahead and paid, and they gave her her Diet Coke, the large one. So gave her her Diet Coke. She put it in the car. Her, soul, her heart was so thrilled, and she drove home with her Diet Coke and realized, I forgot my food. <laughs> That's what this woman just did. Jesus just changed her life so much she forgot what she was there for, and she runs and tells everybody what Jesus had done for her. The wounds, the burdens, the hurts were all taken by Jesus. And it didn't matter anymore what people thought because Jesus forgave her. And I just want to finish my part this way. John three seventeen says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't look at this woman and go, whoa. In fact, it says the disciples were astonished that he was talking to her. If he knew what kind of woman she was, they'd have been astonished. <laughs> I mean, what, are, what word's bigger than that? But Jesus didn't come to condemn her. He came to save the world. He came to rescue her. He came to heal her. And he peeled the Band-Aid off and he said, I love you. Drink this living water. And he does that for you today. I'm about to change how many people have Band-Aids in this building. We've got one over there, and I need three helpers. All right. Oh, there's another. Oh, awesome. Kids, come on up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys are awesome. Two more? Maybe. Levi, come on. All right, grab some Band-Aids, and can you make sure that everyone leaves with a Band-Aid? All right, there's more up here if you need more. Okay, thank you. Pass them out. While they do that, Jesus says to her, there's this living water I want to give you, and it's himself. He, he wants to give her relationship with himself. We, we, we sang this song earlier, and the phrase went like this, you call me deeper still into love. There's a lot of us who begin a Christian walk, and we think, is this all there is? Because as soon as we, we, we come to faith in Jesus, we, we, we make a left turn, and we start pursuing this. So we start pursuing this, and pretty soon before we know it, we've replaced Jesus, you know, in our daily life with a news site, or with a person, or with a job. But what Jesus calls this woman into is not something that just satisfies for that day. He actually says it this way. He says, if you knew the one who was here, you would ask him for living water, and you would never thirst again. 
a lot of us walk through our Christian lives and we're thirsty. And it's because many times we have replaced with the very things that God designed to bring life with things that don't. And we've replaced this walk with Jesus where we're taken deeper and deeper and deeper into relationship. And we've decided to hold on to resentment and bitterness and anger. We, we, we've decided to, to, to rather seek things of this world rather than things from the Father. It's not to say that we don't have real life things that are challenging, but I want you to think through your life right now. Where is there a wound in your life that you're trying to solve by sticking your own Band-Aid on it? You're trying to solve loneliness by saying, oh, I'll just eat more, or, or I'll just um, engage my time over here. Or maybe you're trying to solve your identity and your worth by, if I just get this next promotion, or if I just reach this amount of money in my bank account, I'll be secure. There's people throughout this world who live on all sorts of things. What Jesus is saying to this woman is, I alone satisfy. I alone am enough for you. And like Mark said, the story of this woman is she, she comes to this realization and it absolutely transforms how she relates to God. That's what God wants to do in your life and in mine. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. What God wants for our lives as followers of Jesus is to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in relationship with him. The one who knows us from the beginning of your time to the end of your time, through all of those struggles, through all those joys and victories, he knows every single thing about you, and he loves you still. It's amazing. Can you just say, wow? Wow. <laughs> Could you just say, wow? wow? Wow. Thank you. God knows everything about your life, and you know the things that just came to your thoughts, and he loves you still. And he calls you into a deeper relationship with him today. Now, you have a Band-Aid in front of you. We're going to fix this Band-Aid issue, all right? I'd like you to unwrap your Band-Aid and take your trash with you, please. Uh, <laughs> that's for our custodians. Um, unwrap your Band-Aid. If you don't have one yet, raise your hand. Make sure you get one. Just a couple over there. All right, Levi, you're awesome, man. Thank you. Elise. Thank you, Ezekiel. Thank you for helping. Unwrap your Band-Aid. Take the, um, the things off. I don't know what you call those, the sterile strips or whatever. And I want you to put it on your arm or put it on your hand. If you're really daring and you're like me, you'll put it on your, your hand where there's like hair. <laughs> I, I was using an earlier, a mic earlier and it wasn't working the best way. And so I actually put a Band-Aid on my face and I had to rip it off before service because it wasn't working right. And that wasn't, pleasant. And I want you to walk around today with the acknowledgement that we all have wounds. What are your wounds that God wants to address today? What do you need to acknowledge before God? Because acknowledging that is something very important in your walk with Jesus. You can say, God, here is this wound. Here is this thing I'm struggling with. And just in a, an act of surrender, submission, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, God, 
you know this about my life. You know my struggle with insecurity. God, you know that I think about how other people think about me way more than I should. God, would you remind me that I'm your child? God, God, you know I might deal with anger. Would you remind me that a gentle answer turns away wrath? God, God, would you allow your spirit to flow through me so that love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become the very characteristics that people see in my life? I want to pray for you today. So let, let, let us pray and acknowledge these things. God, we recognize, even as we put Band-Aids on our arm or on our hand, that we have wounds. And, and these wounds, God, are things that we believe many times that are not true. And so, God, we proclaim the truth that if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God, we proclaim the truth of our lives that you are sufficient for our everyday living. God, we're reminded again, too, that this world, as broken as it is, is a place and a people for whom Jesus came to live and to die and to rise again to life so that we might have life in his name. But God, we want to acknowledge these very deep personal things where we find these identity markers. And we want to say, God, they're yours. God, would you peel back the band-aids of our life to reveal the wounds? And God, would you bring healing? And as we wait upon that healing, whatever that looks like for our situation, God, we trust you to be more than enough. God, help us to seek healing from you. God, as we look around at each other today, remind us that others also have wounds and that these are children made in your image. And God, help us with the Spirit's leading to speak truth and to speak hope and to speak grace into the lives of the people in our families Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our kids. God, to speak truth into the lives of the people at our workplaces or our schools who also have wounds. God, even as we go to a potluck in a couple minutes here, as we sit across and we walk past each other and we've got Band-Aids on our arms, we all have wounds, God. Help us to remember these are people dearly loved by you, made in your image. Meet us with all we need today in Christ. We trust you for this, God. We trust you for this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will go to potluck in just a minute here. But I had you put on the band-aid because I, I didn't want, you know, one person to be the only one. But as you walk around, I want you to be reminded. You and I, we all have wounds. But there is one person who is the wound healer. That's Jesus. Jesus says, um, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As we walk out as followers of Jesus, we're walking out into a world deeply wounded. And it's really easy, and trust me, I get this in my own life. It's really easy to become frustrated and to think of people in different ways. 
But I want you to walk out of this place and think of them as people for whom Jesus died. People who need the message of the gospel that Jesus alone saves, but people who need to experience the message of the gospel and how Jesus has brought redemption and salvation to your life. That's the light that shines through you to the world around us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions,